Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. We'll be looking at the remaining verses of the second half of the psalm, verses 4 through 8 this evening. Verses 4 through 8. Join me as we ask for the Lord's blessing on the preaching and reading of the Word. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to your Word, we pray for your Spirit to open it to us. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would make it clear. Holy Spirit, that you would lay out the truth to us wonderfully, beautifully, that we would see and understand, that we would be humbled, that we would be convicted and challenged, but overjoyed because of the work of Christ our Savior. We pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us by your word, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, Psalm 4, beginning in verse 4. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ... To know and to have confidence that God was his righteousness was a tremendous thing for David at all times, and especially in the midst of his distress. For David was a filthy sinner with filthy rag-like righteousness in and of himself. He was full of unrighteousness, as are all of us. And yet for all of us who are in Christ, he is our righteousness. Jesus is the righteous one, John teaches us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We rejoice that Jesus has clothed us with the garments of salvation. He has covered us with his robe of righteousness, Isaiah 61, verse 10 teaches us. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Now, if you consider the sermon from last week, where you struck last week to know that one of God's names is the Lord, our righteousness. Because all of these things are true, David called out to his covenant Lord to hear him. Indeed, he called out to the Lord his righteousness to heal, to hear him thanking him for the relief that David experienced and beseeching God for his mercy. 
David also turned to the heathen princes and rulers, if you recall, who were with Saul and Absalom. And he sang words of of, of reason with them as he called them to repentance. David asked pointed questions of them regarding their shameful and empty desires and engagement in lies about him. He was angry with them as they sought to turn his glory to shame through their lies. And yet the wicked need to know, and the godly are comforted by the work of the Lord. This is what David has also shown us. For by his sovereign eternal decree and covenant, God has elected and set apart a people for himself. We are his special treasure. The godly are God's separated and sealed ones. We are those who are the recipients of his loving kindness, and we have his listening ear when we pray. And therefore, knowing what is true of God and his care for his people, David continues in this psalm with his instruction to the sons of men. And he first speaks to them about being angry and not sinning in verses 4 and 5, as well as He speaks of divine gladness in the heart, verses 6 and 7, and the work of divine peace in verse 8. So look with me at 4a as he speaks about being angry and yet what we must do about it. He says, be angry and do not sin. Now notice how David gives two commands here. Command number one is be angry. Command number two, do not sin. It's interesting that older translations of the command, be angry, translate the Hebrew word as stand in awe. The Hebrew word means to be agitated or perturbed. It can also mean to to quiver and to quake. And so this word communicates the idea of trembling in strong emotion. Trembling even in anger. And though angry, the rulers and the princes needed to tremble and be afraid of the living God. And David warned them against sin. Yet they couldn't do otherwise unless the Lord was pleased to convert and save them. Beloved, God calls men and women to not indulge anger in our hearts and keep it from breaking out into murmuring or complaining or other outright rebellion against God. Rather, we are to mortify our sinful passions. And hear this, David's commands here also have a broader application to us today. As we consider these words, we should be reminded of the instruction that the Apostle Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, where he gives the same commands with a slightly different remedy. Same commands, slightly different remedy. Whereas Paul's remedy is focused on timeliness in conflict resolution and dealing with anger, He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In Ephesians 4, David's remedy, notice, is more focused on the fruit of self-control after godly self-examination. Look at 4b. 
David says, meditate within your heart on your bed, and be still, Selah. Now when David calls for meditation here, he is literally saying, speak to your heart. Speak to your heart. In other words, take time to calmly and deeply consider the things in your mind and heart, and not let sinful thoughts and passions in your heart drive the bus. That's what he's talking about. And at what time does David recommend that that happen? Well, legitimately, it could be done at any time. We can go before the Lord at any time. We can take time at any time in the day to meditate and to think upon such things. But David says specifically, at night, when you're going to bed, when you're in bed, he says, And notice he pauses and he uses that word again, Selah. Think about this. And why? Well, as Matthew Poole says, it's the best time when your leisure from the crowd of distracting business and free from the company of crafty and daubing parasites. How... uh, Old English words are quite deep there, right? You're free from daubing parasites and you're, you're free from the distracting crowd of others in business, right? Pointed words, helpful words. But the point is, as you're lying in bed, you can better focus on being still as you're free from external influences that may distract you or may weigh you down. And you can therefore have a prayerful focus on composing things that are churning in your mind. We need to follow what David says in Psalm 37, verses 7 and 8 as well. He says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, and by the way, fret is anxiety, fret is worry. Do not fret, and why? It only causes harm. Beloved, know that anger leads to sin, excuse me, know that anger that leads to sin, or uncontrolled anger, is deadly for the person who is sinfully angry. Unbridled anger is deadly in all spheres of relationship. For those of you who struggle with it, have you ever noticed and marveled later at your irrationality? What came over me? Maybe you've asked yourself. How could I have thought that or said that or done that? Don't think that you can control it within your own heart or even privately at home thinking it won't bleed into other relationships because it will. We think we can have the tiger by the tail and yet the tiger is still raging. The tiger is still gnawing at us and eating at us from the inside and we think from our own perception that is becoming clearly more and more blind Right, more and more skewed and limited, that ah, I've got this contained in a titanium shell. There's no way that anybody else knows what's going on or is being affected by it. But that's a lie. 
because it often bleeds into other relationships very easily. It will even into the church before you realize it. And so therefore, peace must be guarded and kept in every sphere of our lives, in the church, and in part by controlling and dealing with anger biblically. And as we consider doing so, it's also important to recognize that anger is often misunderstood in the church today. The emotion of anger is often thrown out as being evil altogether when the true problem is anger when it's uncontrolled and anger when it's about sinful things. All anger is not sinful. Righteous anger is real and present, and it isn't sinful. Unbridled and undealt with anger is. It's true that our Heavenly Father is perfectly holy when He is angry when His righteous law is violated. It's true that the Holy God, second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ our Savior, it was true that He was righteously angry when He cleansed the temple and drove the money changers out. If you consider Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, we need to remember this about our Lord. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And so as we consider those words, and as we are called to imitate Christ, we too must be angry with those things that make God angry. We must grow incensed when we see the weak and the helpless exploited, for example, because the Lord's wrath is kindled against the oppressor. We see that in Exodus 22, verses 21 through 24. Even hypocrisy in our own lives and and any that we find in the church should disturb us because of Christ's anger at those who honor them with their lips only, but their hearts are far from them. And so consider verse 5 of Psalm 4. Here's another piece of David's remedy. He says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. David spoke of the Lord being pleased with sacrifices of righteousness in Psalm 51, verses 18 and 19, when he said, Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and the whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. See how David here, and particularly even in verse 5 of Psalm 4, see how David not only called the sons of men to stop doing evil, but to also do well in obeying and trusting the Lord. Those that were against David and his government would soon come to a better mindset and, Lord willing, return to their allegiance if they would serve and worship the living God rightly. And that was his call to them. Do this. 
But he goes on in verse 6 to speak of divine gladness, which is also wonderful in verse 6. He says, there are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. My friends, all of the skeptics taunt by saying there is nothing good. There's nothing good in God, even, they would say. Even remember what they've said of David in previous Psalms. There is no help for him in God. God is not what he claims to be. He's not what he's reported or testified to be, they would say. They desired to see and be shown good materially, especially good in an increase of their corn and wine production. And yet, what is David's response? He calls out to the Lord, the one who is good, who is the definition of good, who is the only one that we can go back to to have any reference for what is good and what is evil. He goes to the one who is good, and he calls upon him to do what? To lift the darkness and manifest his presence to them in grace and peace. This phrase resembles the ironic blessing in number six, doesn't it? The the blessing and even the benediction that I pronounced this morning, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Remember, beloved, how Adam and Eve enjoyed the personal fellowship in the light of God's face in the garden. Full and true. Perfect and pure. And after they sinned, what happened? They were cast away from his presence. The light of his countenance was no longer upon them face to face. In fact, no one could then see God's face and live. And yet blessing and favor, we know in the scriptures, are found in the light of God's face and his grace. Blessing and favor are found in the light of God's face and his grace. In our fallen condition, we are in a state of darkness and are thereby alienated from the light and life of God. But in Christ, we are reconciled to God and are in fellowship with Him in the light. As He is light. The Scripture teaches us, in His light, we see light. It's wonderful when God's loving favor shines upon us, isn't it? When he lifts up his countenance upon us in Christ and he gives us peace. This is what we need and this is what we desperately desire. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, it says, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. And so considering David's request of the Lord, in light of this, what does David say is also true in verse 7? He says, you have put gladness in my heart, more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. 
Beloved, glad, gladness divinely placed in the heart, considering the work and the promises of the Lord, is that which lasts and is truly sweet. It's truly sweet. See, that gladness is a gift from God. That's what we see here. It's beautiful. Gladness isn't something that just comes up from ourselves as we experience relief or we experience something that's pleasurable and we're glad about it. No, it is a divinely placed gift. It is put by God in the heart of His people. It's inward, it's solid, it's substantial joy. It's gladness that challenges and diminishes the sorrows of distress. And that's exactly what David experienced. In Psalm 97, verses 10 through 12, it says, You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Notice that. Both words here, light and gladness. Again, here in Psalm 97. Both that were part of David's words in Psalm 4. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. And give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. You know, the others that David spoke to may have desired to see material increase in order to say that it was good and in order to be glad. However, what was David's view? The the gladness of the Lord placed by Him in the heart is more and is far better than those who are happy about their bumper crop. David knew the gladness. David knew the happiness that people had when their crops were plentiful and they had the food. That was a great time of rejoicing. Materially. But David says, no, no, this is far better than any bumper crop. And look at the work of divine peace in verse 8. In verse 8a, he says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Remember David's similar words in Psalm 3, verse 5, regarding, regarding the Lord's sustaining grace, where he also spoke about such things. When divinely placed gladness is in the heart, beloved, godly peace will follow. And once again, there was a good reason for David's peace in the midst of distress, in the midst of the run. There was good reason. And because of this peace, he would sleep and he would rest in the protection of the Lord. Verse 8b, he says, For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 18 We read, so you shall observe my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them. And you will dwell in the land in safety. And then the land will yield its fruit. And you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. Safety comes from the blessing and the protection of the sovereign God and from him alone. It's from his hand. Deuteronomy 
When you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety. Beloved, the dwelling in safety that David speaks of in Psalm 4 wasn't merely an internal peace pit stop. It wasn't just a temporary internal peace pit stop. No, for David, when the peace of the Lord is present and active in the heart, he was, and indeed we are, able and willing to commit all of our affairs to God, regardless of what is going on around us, being content to leave the outcomes to His holy will and good providence, even if God's will is that you or I sleep the sleep of death tonight. We have peace and confidence that it is well with our souls. So some of you may be thinking as we consider these verses, you know, you spent quite a bit of time focusing on anger, Pastor. And you're right, I did. But I did because it's one of the most disruptive and destructive sins that we wrestle with. And therefore, become an expert in rightly expressing righteous anger, as well as dealing with things that would move it into being sinful. And as you seek to do so, follow David's commands. Be angry and do not sin. Keep watchful attention to the details of your anger and keep both David's and Paul's words regarding nightly meditation and timely resolution fresh in your mind and daily walk. I encourage you in that. May your prayer be like David's in seeking the Lord's face, desiring that the light of his countenance would be lifted toward you. Seek his face, asking that he would put his gladness into your heart. But also know the peace and safety of the Lord afresh today in the midst of your circumstances, recognizing that it's God alone who has you in his hand and makes you dwell in safety. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word here tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would give us great joy and great restraint when it comes to anger. Help us to manage that and to deal with such things rightly and appropriately according to your word. But also, Lord, we pray that you would put divine gladness into our hearts that we would see your light as we walk in the light, that we would be blessed by you as you lift up and show us the light of your countenance and as you truly give us peace. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to remember that we are in your hands. You have numbered our days. You have given us many promises. And we trust you in all of them, knowing that in your hands is the best place to be, despite the circumstances, trusting you for the outcomes, whatever they may be. Lord, sometimes these are lessons that we admit are difficult. Maybe we've struggled with 
one or all of them. But we pray, Lord, for your work and your grace. In Christ's name, amen.